This is episode 338 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are the best vehicle choices for preparedness and the top canning supplies that you need. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey guys, before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by my new ebook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. Hey, I truly believe that having multiple streams of income is the way that we need to be prepared and that we need to prepare our finances and for our families. So if you'd like some more information, go over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com or to just microbiz.biz and that'll get you some more information. Hey, thanks for starting your week off with me. Uh, Got to let you know, I'm feeling a little run down. You know, after uh, church this morning and uh, people coming over, um, I just, you know, the allergies are really kicking my butt uh, lately. And as I was thinking about it, I remember when I first started, actually, I, I prolonged the very start of the podcast uh, a year ago, back in February, because I had allergies so bad and I just, you know, my throat was hurting and, and I'm, I'm in that same situation again. And uh, maybe it's just a recurring thing. I guess, I guess I wasn't affected by uh, pollen and, and that stuff so much, but you know, more that I do the podcast and like, like I said, talking at church and then, uh, you know, today I just feel worn out. So bear with me today. I'm sucking down some honey and, and lemon and, uh, you know, remembering that I need to, I've, I've been laxing on my vitamin C and also my apple cider vinegar tabs. Uh, I used to just take it straight, but, uh, you know, there's some, some tabs that you can take and I just wind up taking that, but I've been lax on all of that stuff. And so I need to, uh, boost my immune system just a little bit. But if, uh, the voice sounds raspy and, uh, well, you probably won't notice it, but I'll have to. I've already, <laughs> I've already messed up a few times where or lost my voice a few times where I've had to. Uh, I'll have to edit that out. But uh, such is life when you when you do the podcast. So um, again, bear with me and uh, keep me in your prayers. Uh, I don't have t- time to get sick or uh, any of that kind of stuff. You just got to push through all of this stuff. So uh, those of you that uh, are, you know, in places where pollen is just nasty and all kinds of other things are blowing through the air, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Those of you who don't, then uh, man, count yourself lucky because uh, all this stuff, it just it just really sucks. But anyway, so uh, wasting a lot of time. Let's go ahead and get straight into our first article. It comes to us from ModernSurvivalBlog.com. And it's entitled, The Best Vehicle Choices for Preparedness. And so this is a short article, but it got me thinking about some other things that I know that I've, I've read in the past. So let's go ahead and read this, and then I'll bounce off of that. I recently received the following email from an MSB reader. Ken, have you and or your readers reviewed or commented on vehicle choices for preparedness or emergency? I am looking to replace the 2005 Accord sedan, and the current thoughts are... A Honda CRV, Toyota RAV4, or a Subaru Forester. Subaru Outback also under consideration. None of these are full up SUV or pickups. However, they seem reasonable for my suburban lifestyle. Current nod is to the Forester due to driver visibility. 
I would be interested in what you and your blog followers think about these choices or other choices. Thanks. End quote. So what an excellent topic. If you were to fantasize about the best motor vehicle for preparedness, what would it look like? Ask yourself, just what is the role of my preparedness vehicle post-event? What's its purpose? I see the primary role to be either one of two uses. One, getting us to and our supplies to a bug out location. Or two, to get us home from wherever we may be when the event takes place. Note, let's keep it generally practical while not necessarily building a long-term bug out or Mad Max vehicle. No, let's try to avoid, for this discussion, EM-proof vehicles. So the parameters for best vehicle. I suppose we could go all out and list prerequisites that would get us through anything. However, that's probably not too realistic. More likely would be overcoming some obstacles along the way. Back road travel, maybe off-road if you know where you're going. Winter conditions, maybe flooding, poor traction. Let's hear more of your suggestions in the comments. Let's consider some features that would be nice to have for a preparedness vehicle. Storage space that's adequate for gear and supplies. A four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive. Ground clearance that's more than a typical vehicle. A large capacity gas tank. Max range on a tank of of fuel. And then tow package. Maybe applicable for a bug out. Some add-ons could be second gas tank. Aggressive tread tires radios like for communications or maybe even a scanner and a dc to ac inverter a few vehicles that i have owned a jeep grand cherokee 1994 i really love that jeep i ran it more than a quarter million miles and it saw lots of the country and lots of off-road i will always have a place in my heart for that jeep more the memories than anything else i suppose the newer ones not so much by their appearance they're smaller a navigator. It's built on an F-150 frame. This SUV was huge. It fit lots of stuff, only had it for several years, sold it, and then bought the next vehicle, an F-350 Super Duty. I really like this truck. I tow with it. Full-size bed with backflip security cover, full crew cab, plenty of room, diesel engine, nearly 700 mile range with not towing, 4x4. If I had to point out a potential flaw in a full-size truck, it's the overall size, length, is 22 feet. It could be difficult if off-road in tight conditions. However, I don't plan to have to do that. All right, so let's hear your thoughts on this subject. Do you also have specific vehicle recommendations? Keeping in mind the initial question from the person who emailed. And there was an update here. The Subaru Forester seems to be favored for a small SUV class. So there's 137 comments. So if this is one of those um, you know, topics that interest you, it definitely would be worth your time to come and to uh, read what uh, people are saying in the comment section. As I was uh, reading this one and preparing this article, I was uh, reminded of two things. So I remember that Fernando Aguirre, who, uh, who does the, the Modern Survivalist blog, and he does a lot more vehicles and uh, he does a lot more videos than he does uh, articles, but uh, he talked about, so he was uh, in Argentina during the collapse. And by the way, uh, Argentina is not doing good uh, again. Their their money is falling uh, again. And so, uh, man, the people, hopefully the people in Argentina uh, learned their lesson the first time around when uh, collapse started happening. And they're a little bit better prepared for what's happening over there right now. But, uh, you know, I think 
uh, and I'm getting off on an economy uh, idea here and, and not staying with the bug out vehicles. But let me uh, let me just say this and I'll come back to it. You know, reading Martin Armstrong, he, he always talks about how money is going to be leaving and coming to the United States as we see things go downhill because the United States is seen as more of a, of a safe haven, uh, at least for the time being. But he said even America will kind of go downhill as well as far as you know, you know the economy. And so we see that. I mean, Venezuela, I mean, we've talked about that plenty of times. Argentina, we've talked about it in the past. I know that I've written articles from the past point of view, but uh, they're going through some stuff again. And there's a lot of other places as well that are feeling it. But anyway, so getting back to the bug out vehicle uh, topic, uh, Fernando Aguirre talked about this. And, uh, you know, he was a person who lived inside of the city. Um, He didn't recommend going out into the city, at least if it wasn't a full-blown SHTF, you know, the whole, uh, you know, world is is in turmoil uh, because the people that, you know, lived in the city had were able to, um, well, more resources came to the city, first of all, and then it was safer because people would uh, hire security in their neighborhoods and different things like that. Out in the country, you were kind of on your own and people would go out there and, and they would harm you and, and steal from you and all that kind of stuff. But anyway... Uh, one of the things that he talked about was having different vehicles, and uh, some some of the times they did save his butt. Uh, you know, especially the ones that had different types of fuels, because uh, I think he had one that ran on propane, and one that ran on gas, and one that was diesel, different things like that. Because at different times, different fuels were available, and so that was very beneficial uh, for him. But then the other thing that he said it was, you know, he didn't have like a big four by four. When you think about four by fours. It was a smaller, like smaller SUV type that was four by four. But being that it was four by four, it allowed him to get out of some situations. You know, people would just try to stop cars and and, and rob them right in the middle. And it, he was able to get around people and uh, you know go up on curbs and and different things like that because he had uh, a vehicle that was a little higher off the ground that was four by four. You know, if he needed to, he could uh, initiate that right off the bat. And uh, or right from inside his uh, his vehicle, and then you know use that. And so he talked about that, and I always kind of remember that something that uh, would definitely be beneficial. And then the other thing that I was thinking about is uh, Creek Stewart, who runs Willowhaven dot com, and then he has uh, our Willowhaven Outdoor dot com. Uh, he was the star of Fat Guys in the Woods. I don't know if you ever had a chance to watch that. I I think some of the episodes are on. Uh, are on YouTube. Uh, it was uh, run by the Weather Channel, but uh, it was uh, it was a popular show. I really liked it, really enjoyed it, and I love Creek's uh, articles. He always does a great job. He's contributed a lot to the preparedness community. But he wrote uh, several articles. He bought an older truck and uh, several articles, about six articles on uh, you know, making that turning that into a bug out vehicle. And uh, I got to tell you, I mean, you, he walks you through the different steps that he took, and it looks just really, really great. He also he wrote a book off of it, Build the Perfect Bug Out Vehicle, uh, if you're interested in that. And so I'm going to link to uh, this article, um, so Article 6 uh, on his Bug Out Vehicle uh, Chronicles, I guess. And then you can always go backwards and, and, and read the other ones that, um, that he wrote about and see kind of where the the truck came from and 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 how it progressed throughout all that time and some of the reasons why um, but I think that's a good post if you're interested in a bug out vehicle and uh, you can kind of check this one out but you know I like the idea of this 
uh, of this article where you're not necessarily going out. And uh, so, for instance, Creek's, um, Creek's truck is more of a specified bug out vehicle. Now, I think he drove it around in, uh, in the show, uh, Fat Guys in the Woods. But uh, what this article was talking about more along the lines is having an everyday vehicle that can be used for, uh, you know, a bug out vehicle or, you know, a preparedness type video. <laughs> I keep saying video vehicle. Um, I, I prefer my truck. I really do. Um, it is a dual cab. The, the, the dual cab, uh, you know, the back part of it is not as big as like the Fords or the Chevrolets, but uh, I don't ne- necessarily carry a lot of people in my vehicle. So it's there if I need it. Uh, mostly I'm, you know, I like underneath, underneath the seat, I'm able to carry a bunch of things in there, uh, and, uh, really enjoy that. And I just like having a truck because you can always throw things in the back and, and, uh, you know, haul things around if you need to. But I also like the idea of these small SUVs and especially being able to have, uh, you know, four by fours in these smaller vehicles to get through any kind of terrain or to, you know, to be able to jump curves or whatever you need to do. I mean, you don't necessarily need four by four to jump curves, but, uh, you know, being able to go where you need to go. And so I think it's a good idea and something to kind of always have in the back of your mind if you're looking for a newer vehicle, uh, something to uh, to consider. You know, could this vehicle be something that I use if I needed to get out of Dodge or if I needed to get back home? Uh, could I store some kind of supplies? Are there areas where I could store supplies in my in my vehicle? So uh, you have that. And like I said, I'm going to link to uh, Creek's article and on his truck if you're interested in going and, and taking a look at that. Um, you know, speaking of Creek, uh, he's recently started advertising over at Prepper website and, uh, he does a couple of different things, but one of the, the things that he's advertising is the wild edible plant of the month club. And so if you are interested in wild edibles, I definitely would, uh, in- encourage you to go to at least check this out for a small monthly subscription. You can get a plant details, uh, you know, in-depth details of a plant of the month and uh, start adding that to your preparedness. And, uh, you know, definitely very important uh, when we're talking about, you know, survival and being able to identify uh, wild edibles out there because there's a lot of them that provide so many different uh, resources for us, whether it's food or medicinal. And, uh, you know, we pass them all the time, but sometimes we don't even realize how powerful they are or, you know, how we can use them. And a lot, a lot of the times people consider them just weeds, don't realize that they are food. And so if you're interested in that, you can go over to Prepper website. I'm going to link to it as well in the, the show notes if you want to go click on that. So um, that's over at wildedibleplantofthemonth.com. And uh, like I said, Creek Stewart, I trust him. Uh, he's uh, you know a, a person in the preparedness community that is really out there and really knows what he's doing. Uh, and if you ever are looking for like a, a survival vacation type thing, where uh, they they run that out of the, his camp at Willow Haven Outdoors and. Uh, you know, it's not one of those like uh, you're gonna completely rough it. So where you need a vacation from your vacation, this is you know where you go and you get to have some fun, but you get to learn some skills, and uh, so uh, very interesting. So a lot of good stuff over there, at, uh, you know, from Creek Stewart and uh, Will Haven Outdoors. So again, go check that out. All right, our next article comes to us from NewLifeOnAHomestead.com, and it's entitled "The Top Canning Supplies You Need." Now, canning is one of those skills that. You know, at one point, everybody used to know because they needed to know to be able to preserve food. 
And uh, with canning and the ability to just go to the grocery store and buy canned foods, I mean, that has changed a lot, but a lot of people still can. And if you are growing any food, if you are a homesteader, uh, you need to be able to uh, somehow store the food that you that you make and that you grow, and you want to preserve that in some way. And so definitely canning is one of the ways that you can do that. And so uh, this article is a nice little primer to get you some information that you need. And there's some really great links in here. So let's go ahead and start reading this one again, the top canning supplies you need. Are you ready to start canning? Canning is a great way to preserve the foods you harvest, forage, hunt, or buy. Once you learn how to can, you will be able to keep your pantry stocked all year long. If you sell foods at a farmer's market or run a community-supported agricultural program, foods like canned jams and pickles are very popular sellers as well. And canning is a just plain fun activity that your whole family can enjoy doing together on the homestead. If you've never canned before, no worries. It's not hard to learn. However, you will have to buy some equipment prior to getting started. Here are the top canning supplies you will need and other equipment that is nice to have if you want to get started canning your own foods right away. Canning is a preservation technique that allows you to store foods in mason jars, the cans, at room temperature for up to one year. While it is easy, it is important for safety reasons to practice proper canning techniques. Failing to do so could prevent you from effectively killing all of the harmful bacteria in the food or lead to, lead to jars not sealing properly. Try to find a trusted expert to help you learn canning basics. An experienced canner can show you all of the basics and help you learn how to can food safely and efficiently. Some community colleges have classes on food preservation. That is a good place to learn how to can safely as well. Additionally, you should ensure that you have good canning reference materials on hand. Good references can provide terrific step-by-step instructions on canning safely. Many also have delicious recipes you can try as well. Here are some canning references that all homesteaders should have at their fingertips. So these are good canning books. There are hundreds of canning books available. Here are three great ones that can get you canning in your kitchen in no time. The Ball Complete Book of Home Preserving. Ball is a leading manufacturer of mason jars and other canning supplies and products. This book offers a great primer on canning processes and procedures and safety tips. It also has hundreds of great recipes to make jams, jellies, pickles, relishes, and many other items. The book includes information and recipes for pressure canning as well. The Canning and Preserving for Beginners, the Essential Canning Recipe and Canning Supplies Guide. This is another great canning guide for people that are just starting out as canners. The book is very straightforward and clearly explains canning terminology and processes. It is well illustrated and is another great source for simple, easy-to-follow canning recipes as well. And then the Prepper's Canning Guide. Affordably stockpile all life-saving supplies of nutritious, delicious, shelf-stable foods. This guide is another excellent resource for canners. Like the previous guide before it, Prepper's Canning Guide provides a great overview of canning basics. Additionally, this book has great tips for preserving foods to support your homestead in the event of a major disaster or other contingency. It discusses strategies for stocking your pantry for emergencies, as well as making the most of the food you have available. This book is a must-have reference for anyone who wants to have all of their food preserved and prepared when a disaster strikes. You should always be on the lookout for new books on canning. They are fun and informative to read, and you can often find great new recipes to try 
in your own kitchen. So here are some online references. There are hundreds of canning references online. Here are two government-sponsored sites that are worth bookmarking. The National Center for Home Food Preservation. The National Center for Home Food Preservation is a tremendous online resource for all things related to preserving foods in your home. Its canning information is first-rate. All canners should review it as you prepare to can foods on your own. Before you consider doing anything related to canning or preserving foods, you should always search this website for the most current information. And then the USDA Guide to Home Canning. The United States Department of Agriculture puts out an astounding guide to canning at home, and it is entirely free online at the link. The USDA Guide covers the basics of preserving food using water bath or pressure canning techniques and provides the most up-to-date, authoritative information about canning safely in the home. And hey, it's absolutely free too, a real plus. You can reference it on your smartphone or tablet while you're working in the kitchen, or print it out and place the pages in a binder. However, if you feel you must have a hard copy, however, you can always purchase one. So here are the basics, boiling water canning. Most homesteaders start out boiling water canning. This straightforward process involves boiling mason jars, the cans, in canning of foods that are high in acid in a pot of water, the water bath. The boiling water, along with the food's acid content, helps to keep all of the bacteria. Immersion in the boiling water also helps to create an airtight seal on the jars to preserve the foods as well. Canners use the boiling water canning process to preserve the majority of foods we all associate with canning. Jellies, jams, pickles, salsa, and many pie fillings are made through this simple canning process. You need a few basic supplies to start preserving foods using the boiling water canning process. These supplies include, and then so we're going to go into jars and closures here, mason or canning jars. Mason jars, also called canning jars, are the glass jars that you will preserve and store your foods in. They come in a wide variety of sizes. Smaller jars are often used to preserve jellies, jams, and sauces. Smaller jars are great to give as gifts or to sell at farmer's markets. Larger jars are great for pickles. The wide mouth jars are great for use in recipes calling for larger pieces of vegetables or fruit. The wider mouth makes it easier to pack them. Canning jars are reusable. The lids. Canning lids consist of tin plates still and have a channel coating on their undersides that is especially designed to help seal jars and preserve your foods. Lids are not reusable. Discard them after you finish off a jar of your preserved food. These lids normally come with the jars when you buy them. Alternatively, you can buy replacement packs of them as well. And then the screw bands. Screw bands or rings are used to hold the lid in place during the heating process. Once you confirm that a jar of processed food has sealed, the screw bands should be removed. Failing to do so can make opening the jar more difficult later on. Screw bands can be reused. All right, so here's some canning equipment. The boiling water canner. A boiling water canner sounds fancy, but it's just a pot large enough to fit canning jars in to heat process them. The pot should be large enough that all of your sealed jars can be submerged under at least one inch of water for heat processing. A boiling water canner will need a fitted lid as well. You can buy an inexpensive pot designed for use as a boiling water at most home goods stores or even online. You'll need a canning rack. A canning rack is a thin metal frame which sits in your boiling water canner. The rack serves two purposes. 
First, it separates the jars from the direct high heat of the boiling water canner's bottom. Next, most racks have handles that allow you to secure your jars and racks to the sides. Do not use the canning rack to lift jars out of the boiling water, especially if the water is hot. Then a jar lifter. A jar lifter are mechanical tongs that are used to safely manipulate canning jars into and out of the boiling water canner. Working with jars is difficult when you have to contend with scalding hot water. The jar lifter makes it much easier and safer to get the jars where you need them to be. And so here's a short little video showing how a jar lifter would work. Also, non-metallic spatulas are used to tightly pack canning jars and eliminate air pockets and other wasted space. This is especially important when you are canning thicker foods such as jams and relishes. And then a canning funnel are specially made for working with mason jars. Unlike standard funnels, canning funnels are wide opening and rest easily atop mason jars. Canning funnels help make packing your jars a neater process. You'll end up with less food wasted on the sides of your jars and your countertop if you use a canning funnel. A lid wand. A magnetic lid wand consists of a plastic or a wooden stick with a, magnetic, with a magnet affixed to one end. These wands are used to maneuver your lids around more easily and help prevent you from contaminating them or accidentally scratching their special coating. Stainless steel ladle. Sauces, relishes, jams, jellies, and other types of preserves will have to be transferred from the saucepan they are prepared in to the canning jars where you'll preserve them. A good ladle will be necessary for this step. Purchase a stainless steel ladle for canning. They are easier to keep clean and you'll have less of a chance of transferring unwanted flavors to your preserved foods than you would if you use a plastic ladle. And then a cutting board. Many canning recipes call for fruits and vegetables to be sliced, chopped, cut, or diced. You will need a good cutting board in order to prepare your foods for canning effectively. Consider getting an over-the-sink cutting board for this task. Many over-the-sink cutting boards have some sort of strainer attachment that makes it easy to wash and sort your foods you're cutting, which will save you time on canning day. This equipment, along with your jars, lids, and screw bands, are all you need to execute most basic water bath canning recipes. While you can buy all of these items separately, most home goods stores sell a basic kit consisting of most of these items for a very reasonable price. You can also find the kits online as well. So let's talk a little bit about pressure canning. Low acid foods like meat, poultry, seafood, and some types of fruits and vegetables need to be heated to higher temperatures in order to kill any potentially harmful bacteria and render the food safe to store for months at room temperature. The primary tool required to do this is called a pressure canner. A pressure canner is a large pot with a locking lid. It is deep enough to allow you to place canning jars in to heat process them. The pressure canner size, with its capacity to seat several canning jars, is what differentiates it from a standard kitchen pressure cooker. Pressure canners take advantage of the pressure of boiling water that builds up within them to create steam that reaches at least 240 degrees Fahrenheit of temperature. The high temperature kills all potentially harmful bacterial spores in the low acid foods that you are canning and makes it safe to store the preserved foods at room temperature. If you are planning to preserve meats, poultry, seafood, or other things containing these types of ingredients, you must have a pressure canner to preserve these foods safely. It is a really good idea to work with an experienced person you trust to learn the basics of pressure canning before you start using this food preservation technique yourself. 
So some additional canning equipment. There are additional items you may not need for canning, but they can help make the process more efficient. Other items are needed for specific types of canning recipes. So let's look at some of the more commonly used items. Cheesecloth is a thin mesh cloth that is commonly used in the kitchen. When canning, you'll need cheesecloth to strain fruits for some juices or jelly recipes. You'll also need it to build a spice bag when making certain kinds of pickles as well. A jelly strainer bag. Like cheesecloth, jelly strainer bags are used for straining juices and purees. Most jelly strainer bags fit snugly over jar lids or funnels. Others come with their own metal stands to aid in straining. These handy little bags help you remove tiny seeds and fruit pulp from the juices you are working with. Jelly strainer bags unsurprisingly are essential when making many types of jelly. However, they are also useful when you are canning something that needs to be finely strained. There are times when you will want to know the precise temperature of liquids or solids you are preparing to can. For example, when making maple syrup, you will want to know the exact temperature of the syrup so that you can determine when it is ready to pack into jars for preserving. A candy thermometer will come in real handy at this point. These thermometers come in both analog as well as digital models. Many are programmable as well and will sound an alarm when your food reaches a desired temperature. Here's a video showing how thermometers are used when boiling maple sap into syrup. Also, a food mill or a food processor. Many canning recipes call for finely chopping or pureeing fruits and vegetables. If you plan on canning on a regular basis or making large batches of canned goods, you should consider getting a food mill or a food processor. Using a food processor can help speed up the process of preparing vegetables for canning. Using a knife and cutting board to chop up several pounds of produce can be time-consuming. Most food processors come with different blades and attachments so you can chop the fruits or vegetables you're working with to any consistency you require. Many food mills are hand-powered and come with an assortment of blades and attachments as well. Canners often swear by their food mills and they are an extremely useful tool for any homesteader who is canning foods off the grid. An apple or a fruit peeler. Apples, pears, and other similar fruits are commonly used to make sauces, butters, and other preserves. Most of the recipes for these harder fruits require them to be peeled and cored. This can be a very time-consuming, laborious process, especially if you are preparing large batches of these when they are ripe and ready. An apple peeler can help speed up this chore so you can focus more on cooking and canning your preserves. Many of these peelers can help core your fruit as well as an added benefit. Next is a steam juicer. If you plan on preserving jellies and juices on a regular basis, you should really invest in a steam juicer. A steam juicer uses steam to heat up berries or fruit or place in one chamber and collects the juice in another chamber. This helps to speed up the process of extracting juice and it is also more efficient than other methods as well. You'll be grateful you purchased your steam juicer each time you go to make a batch of fruit jelly. And then the, again the sauce maker. If you frequently find yourself making sauces or purees, you may want to consider purchasing a sauce maker. These tools help grind down vegetables into a consistency that is perfect for sauces or purees. While other tools such as a blender or food processor can do this as well, sauce makers are ideally designed to do this task and can help you to prepare sauces more efficiently. These handy kitchen tools come in electric as well as hand-powered. This video gives you an idea of how you can use one of the sauce makers to rapidly prepare foods like tomato sauce for canning. After you open one of your jars and start using it, what do you do with the jar if there is still food left over? One option is to purchase and use plastic storage caps.
These caps screw on and enclose your jars after you remove the metal canning lids. Remember, however, that once you unseal a jar or of preserved food, you must refrigerate it, whether it has one of these plastic lids or not. If you plan to can a great deal or sell your canned items at farmer's markets, you should consider labeling your jars. Labels will help you identify what is in each jar that is extremely helpful when you have a pantry full of mason jars since many jams and sauces look the same. More importantly, you'll be able to place a date on each jar so you will know how long it will be good for. There are dissolvable labels which are easy to remove after use by immersing jars in water. If you want to print custom labels for selling your canned items, you can opt instead for label making printing paper as well. Canning is a critical homesteading skill and one of the first things you should learn how to do once you start a homestead of your own. Once you're ready to preserve the food you produce on your homestead, these canning supplies will help you get started. All you need are the basic supplies to start preserving the food you produce for later use. However, the optional equipment often saves time and makes it easier to can large batches of food. Consider buying these items as soon as you can afford them. So what are you waiting for? Get the canning supplies you need and start canning the food your garden from your garden and fruit trees that you're producing right away. All right, in the comment section there was, and I was surprised that yeah, the article did not mention uh, the Tadler brand lids, where those are lids that you can reuse over and over again. And so uh, you know, somebody even mentioned, uh, you know, in fictional novels. So I remember like in uh, Mark Goodwin's, one of Mark Goodwin's novels, uh, they go to uh, a place where they, they're bartering and they're looking for lids because they're trying to preserve food and they need lids. Uh, someone said here that they had, you know, they just bought a whole, whole bunch of lids. And so uh, the amount of jars that they feel that they would need and the lids, you know, they have enough for five years of, of preserving if if it ever came down to that and so that's another way that you could go and you could just buy a bunch of lids and and uh, a bunch of jars and have those ready to go but anyway canning is one of those things that uh, uh, would be beneficial and when we you know we're always talking about like if the poop really hit the fan uh, we wouldn't have refrigerators right if if the power ever went out we wouldn't have refrigerators and how would we preserve the food that we have i mean you can smoke your food uh, you can dehydrate uh, you know, using the sun, uh, those types of things. Uh, you create jerky, uh, you know, and then you, you can can. And uh, if, you have a, uh, if you have a root cellar, I mean, definitely you can use that as well and keep things cool. But uh, for a lot of people, I think canning would be the way to go. But you do need the supplies. You do need the skills to be able to do that. And some of these, uh, the links, like I said, are really great links. You want to go check those out and, uh, you know, even bookmark them and, uh, you know, do a little bit of research for yourself. So again, guys, that's over at newlifeonahomestead.com, the top canning supplies you need. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 338. Again, thanks so much for starting your week off with me. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. Hey, and take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.